Good morning to you all. Salam. Ahlan wa sahlan. Sabah al-khair. Khosh geldiniz. Welcome if you're a guest. Uh, great to have you with us this morning. My name is Saroosh. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee and I'm reporting from the Arctic Circle, uh, namely Melbourne House this morning. Uh, it's good to be together to worship God. It's wonderful and I hope you're really enjoying the weather out there. And... Um, just really uh, worshipping God, it's, it's wonderful to get together, praise God for this facility that he's given us, for being able to uh, still come together um, and worship him. Uh, and if you're a guest, we really hope you've enjoyed it. Please do join us uh, during the week as well as we come together for fellowship and worship. Um, I can assure you, you'll enjoy it. Uh, so we're going through um, our series called um, Join News and Frontline. And this morning we'll be looking at friendship. Um, at the prayer meeting on Sunday, just last Sunday, we were praying for our front lines in different breakout rooms, and um, we all had to share what our front line was uh, in our normal day-to-day life. And um, we shared that. I think there were about five or six of us in each room, and we shared that and we prayed into it. And after the prayer meeting, I was reflecting on it and felt that depending on where we were at and depending on different situations of life, we all had different front lines. Uh, but there was a, a couple of common grounds that we had. Firstly, it was our neighbors, our neighbors, literally people who live next door, next door to us. Uh, there were our front lines. And also, who would have thought our homes would be our front line? Our homes would be the place where God's called us to shine for him. Um, so, uh, yeah, these were the two things that I really reflected on and really felt, uh, yeah, there is common ground in that. Despite all the different front lines we may have in everyday life, uh, one may be college or university or work or different places, we all have this in common as well. Now, friendship this morning, uh, again, depending on our worldview, uh, even where uh, in the world you were born and grew up, which culture you come from, um, we can have different views on friendship. And there are many proverbs, many sayings about friendship uh, in different cultures and different languages. There's more than a few in every language. And here are a few examples. In Arabic, they say that walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking in the light alone. Uh, I think this one's a Nigerian one. It says, a small house will hold a hundred friends. I love it. Uh, there's one in Persian. Dust marawa hamen ne'mata ferdos shoma. I'm sure Raj could work that out, but it literally translates as, if I have to choose between the two, I'll choose friendship, and you can have the goodness of the paradise. There's a Congolese one that says, pretend to be dead and see who'll cry for you. They're your friends. Probably in every language, show me your friend and I'll show you your true character. And here's my favorite. Good friends don't let you do stupid things alone. I can assure you we don't base our theology solely on any of these, uh, but there's a degree of truth in all of them. I'm sure you'd agree with that. But if you've got a Bible, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 34 to 41. They'll also be on the screen. Um, I'm going to read that. With many such parables, he, Jesus, spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. 
and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Praise God for his word. Jesus has been teaching a large crowd using parables. He's also already made some friends and enemies. Very easy to do that when you're Jesus. He's training his disciples and he uses parables to teach people and then explains them to his disciples in private. And here he's just finished teaching people using a parable called the parable of the mustard seed. The smallest seed that when planted grows to be one of the biggest trees in the garden. And here, Jesus finishes the teaching and says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. Remember, they're on the shore of the Lake of Galilee, also known as the Tiberian Sea. And there's this large crowd and his disciples, some of whom are experienced fishermen, people who've been doing this for generations and generations. They're well aware of when to go into the sea or the lake and when not to. So they've got every reason not to go and only one reason to go. This is early on in Mark. This is the fourth chapter of the the gospel. And the disciples have already witnessed the power and authority of Jesus in what what he said and what he did. And they call him rabbi, teacher. And this is their only reason to go with Jesus. The fact that he is their rabbi, their teacher, the person they follow, and through what he's already said and what they've witnessed. So they've only got one reason to go. And they've got every reason not to go. As experienced fishermen, they know not to travel in that time of evening. They know not to really start that sort of journeys that time of day. But they give in. Nobody would dare question Jesus because they've already seen his authority in words. The other reason for them not to go, it's that it's the other side. It's the other side of the lake. It's the place where their mothers and fathers had been telling them not to. I can imagine their fathers would be saying, Son, you can break every commandment, but whatever you do, don't go to the other side. Because you know what? There are other people on the other side. They're different from us. They're ethnically different. They're a different nation. They're unclean. They're religiously unclean. You cannot go near them. You can't touch them. You can't shake hands with them. You can't deal with them in business. You can't really trade with them. There's nothing in there you can't marry into them. You can't give your sons or daughters. So whatever you do is pointless. Don't ever try and go to the other side. They were different. There's fear, uncertainty, and prejudice amongst the disciples. They're thinking, I mean, Jesus should know better. After all, he's the rabbi. He's the good teacher. He should know that these people on the other side are different. They are the other people. What's your other side? 
Where is your other side? Who are the other people in your life? Is it the other side of the street? Is it the other side of the river? If you're from Teesside, you probably know what that means. Is it the other side of the world? Where is it? And who are the other people in your life? The better question to ask is, where is your front line? Where is these other people that's God calling you to? Nobody dares to question Jesus. They all decide to go and say, right, well, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm not going to say to Jesus, but you know what? These are the other people. This isn't a good time to travel and all these sort of things. So they get on the boat and go. And sure enough, they encounter a huge storm. And I love the fact that Mark tells us this bit of detail. The storm, the sea is roaring and there's like waves that come and the boat is about to go um, and sink. And then Mark says, Jesus was having a nap. And he goes on a bit further to say he was laying down on the cushions. I mean, it goes into detail because it's really important. Jesus was so calm. He was just laying down, having a bit of a nap, like our good friend Saeed, who would normally do. So they are all panicking, and they start blaming Jesus. But they wouldn't dare say that, because otherwise it would be written here. The Bible isn't embarrassed to really call up our shortfalls. But I can probably sense that they were blaming each other, saying, oh, you should have said something, or you should have done this, or if you said something, Jesus wouldn't have done it, and we thought more of him than he was. We thought he's a wise teacher, but he clearly not. He couldn't foresee this and all of that. They're blaming each other. And I can see, I can imagine people on the shore who were still stood there, looking at them, thinking, praise God, we didn't get on that boat. He was a good teacher, but he could have stayed here and taught us a bit more. But sooner or later, it'll come our time. Well, at least we learned something else from him, not to travel on this sea, this time of evening. The disciples go to him and say, Rabbi, teacher, good friend, don't you care? We're about to die in here. And you're having a nap. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, and the disciples learn something new. If you continue in reading the next chapters, you'll find that the disciples keep learning new things. They'll see new things in Jesus, things they didn't expect. Jesus extends their front line by taking them to the other side. Jesus is doing what we read in Isaiah about extending the cords of the tent, pulling it out, making it wider, allowing others to come in, preparing it to have more room so that you can have hundred more friends in there. And the people who were in the shore who didn't get on the boat, people who were thinking just up until a few minutes before Jesus comes, they're still thinking, good job we didn't get on, really missed out on a lot. They missed out on seeing Jesus having authority over the wind and the storm. They missed out on a lot. They missed out on seeing him just taking a nap, having a nap on the cushions while his disciples were really scared. And then as soon as the disciples went to him, He calmed everything down. By going to the other side, the disciples were able to witness a lot. And as they continued following Jesus, their front line was extended and their hearts were changed. Now, when it comes to friendship, there's a few things in there that I'd like to point out, particularly in that passage. Front line, friendship, 
requires servant friendship. Making sacrifices, not self-centered friendship. We often talk about servant leadership, but servanthood must apply to all areas of our lives. After all, Isaiah calls our king the suffering servant, a servant who suffers for us. Now, I usually have a really, really difficult choice to make when it comes to sacrifice. Um, I've got two choices of Greg's stores on my way to work every morning. There's one where the ladies in there are really generous with the portions of their bacon bun, but then there's another one that's equally good, but there's a bit of friendship that seems to be formed. So I'm thinking, do I go for more bacon or do I go for friendship? And... Yeah, sometimes I give in and go for more bacon. But other times, I'll go to that place where there's more friendship. And I love the fact that as I go in, one of the ladies that's usually there, she knows me. She knows me as a regular there. Go in, she knows what I need, and she just asks if it's the regular. And every single time she asks me, this is half past eight in the morning, usually the latest, do you want any afters, son? And I love that. Afters a pudding for non-tea ciders at half past eight in the morning. And of course, I've got to say, yes, you can't really build friendship by saying no earlier on in there. We've got to be servant friends. We've got to make sacrifices. Um, at one point in my life, um, I, I've got a good friend, um, been friends for a number of years, and we've been struggling with our friendship. There was a few things in there to be dealt with, and I was really struggling. I was thinking, God, I mean... What do I do with this? Um, love my friend, and I love um, uh, the loyalty in there and what you've put in there. But I think I'm beginning to give up about in this particular area. What do you want me to do? We were in Derby, the, uh, the church in there. Um, we went there for a weekend, and we decided to stay over and join them for their Sunday morning meeting. And we were uh, worshipping. And during worship, I asked God and said, Look, God, what do you want me to do about this friendship? When I'm about to give up, you've got to talk to me. And as I'm just about to finish the prayer in my heart, somebody that I'd never seen in my life before came forward to me and said, I believe God has a word for you. And he says, don't give up on your friend. And I thought, Lord, I was expecting anything and everything other than this. In a place where this person doesn't know me, for you to come and speak to me and remind me that I've got to make sacrifices in my friendship and not to give up. A servant friendship expresses our own vulnerabilities, just like the disciples here. They were vulnerable. If we walk with Jesus through the storms, we become vulnerable as well. But if we experience the storms of life, then we're able to go to our friends and say, I know what you're experiencing. It may not be the exact same situation, but I know someone. You may feel like he's having a nap on the cushions over there, but he can calm the storms in your life too. We can share that experience. I've found that people listen to my story when there's a bit of friendship there. So friendship allows us to really extend that front line a bit further, get that tent a bit bigger. If we know the fears and rejections in this world, then we can invite others to come in and see the person that we believe in and see the person who actually relieves us from all this pain. If our friendships are on the surface, if we can't get past the usual good morning, lovely weather out there, is it? We won't get to see the real thing that Jesus can do in our lives. Also, our friends won't be able to see our vulnerabilities. They won't be able to see how God has really filled the empty space in our lives.
The next bit of friendship is a diverse friendship. Jesus is taking his disciples to the other side. He's showing them what being diverse means. Diversity brings with it lots of challenges. It challenges our worldview. It challenges the rights and wrongs that we've believed in for so many years. It challenges what we've been taught in our early childhood. It challenges the whole thing about who we are and where our prejudices lie. People that are different from us, all walks of life, young and old, people from different nations and different backgrounds, they can be our friends. Praise God that we're in a church family where this is truly reflected, where we have people from all walks of life and backgrounds coming together, forming a family. People from the other side also think that about us, that we are on the other side. But as Raj Sahib says, and has said on many occasions, proximity changes heart. And as I grew up in a different nation, grew up in amongst different sort of hostility, I also had prejudices towards people who were living next door to me, who spoke possibly the, the same language. We shared a lot in common, but yet that prejudice was there. I recognized that after I came to Christ, but it took me so many years it was only a jubilee when God really challenged me. When I looked around and saw people from different nations praising God, when I looked around and saw that I was somebody from the other side who was welcomed in, who was welcomed in like somebody who's, who belongs to the family. Proximity changes hearts, friends. You may not want your heart to change, but again, that's all the more reasons for you to seek God and ask Him to show you where your prejudices lie. A diverse friendship allows us to experience different hospitality, but also it allows us to show hospitality to a diverse range of people. Jesus went to the other side. Where is your other side in hospitality? Now, as you you probably guessed, English is my second language, and with that comes learning different things. So over the years, as I've been learning different colloquialism, and I've learned different things, some of which I've learned from good friends that I can't really say in public places, I've come across a proverb, um, a proverb that says, an Englishman's home is his castle. Now, you can interpret that in different ways, but for me, I've either not come across an Englishman at Jubilee, or this proverb doesn't really mean what it says, because your homes, the homes of many of you, have not been your own castles. The, your homes have been a place of hospitality. Your homes have been a place where your neighbors have been looking around thinking, who are all these different people coming in and going, in, going out every week? Who are these people who come in and they seem to be enjoying life together? Who are these people? And then as they come in, particularly over the summer, that three days we have in August, there's usually the smell of barbecue and charcoal. Who are these people that come together? They're different. In real life, they shouldn't really hang out together. Your homes have been a place of hospitality, and I, for one, have experienced it in real life. So a diverse friendship extends our front line. And finally, friendship allows us to be a prophetic voice. Jubilee, be that prophetic voice in the life of your friends. God will use you as a vessel to speak to your friends, your front lines, give them direction, reveal to them God's plans and purposes, and allow them to see beyond the mountains, 
allow them to see what God really has for them in store. Allows them to see the shortfalls in their lives. Be a prophetic voice in the life of your friends. Declare the supernatural of God in their lives. Allow them to have holy expectations. When we were about to move house a few years ago, we asked our friends to pray for us to find the right house. And we felt in our heart, and there were a few words of wisdom from friends, that God will give us a place in a street where there are Christians and non-Christians. And we said, yes, God, we want that. That, that sounds great because we were longing to reach our friends and neighbors who didn't know Jesus. And at the same time, we wanted to have that sort of support. We recognized that we need support, especially if it's a Christian neighbor. And praise God that what he gave us was for the best. That's what he gave us exactly, and that's what we were asking for. And now looking back a few years, I can see how God worked it for, for our good and hopefully for the good of our, uh, of our neighbor. It was a real privilege to pray with our neighbor, one of our neighbors, when they were going through a really rough time, when they were going through really difficult times and situations. It was a wonderful place to go. It was a wonderful experience, really, to have that privilege. It was later on, as I was speaking to a friend um, who doesn't live in that sort of area, and my friend told me, oh, yeah, it was brilliant. Your neighbor was talking to me. And they said how they loved the fact that Marriage was praying with them and it was amazing and the support that was there. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like my wife, Marvash, to pray for people and to want to pray for people and declare God's goodness. But it's amazing how this close-knit community on Teesside is recognizing that as well. Friendship allows us to bring God into everyday life situation. Be a prophetic voice jubilee in the life of your friend. Declare God's everlasting love to your friends. Shine for him. Don't be embarrassed because there are times when I think, oh, well, is this really a word from God? Is this going to happen? Is this truly from God? Speak it. And finally, you've heard make friends try Alpha. You've heard people say that. You've heard it. And you think, what about people who don't have a friend? Well, all the more reasons to befriend them then. Remember, friends are not projects. God was there before you were there. So from wine testing to a jacuzzi session, from shawarma and kebabs to a Sunday dinner, invite your friends to see this wonderful family. Just love how our youth group are doing that, maybe with pizza rather than shawarma and kebab a Sunday dinner. But it's wonderful what we can learn from them. As we continue bringing the joy news of Jesus everywhere to everyone, I'd like to end with this passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm going to read it for you. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command. Love each other. Amen to that. As you go along in your friendships, as you carry on your front line, as you carry on shining for God, pray that God blesses you and I pray that God would speak to you and that you grow in your faith. God bless you, brothers and sisters.